Hi, my hearty Mike, TNA Hotaka. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. I'm Wallace Chapman. Kiemo Tono Mai Koto Katoa coming up. On the programme, Vladimir Putin is stepping on the pedal with regards to the war on Ukraine. 300,000 people pressed into military service, he announces, prompting large protests and one-way flights out of Russia. Dr Evgeny Pavlov, who grew up just out of Moscow, on how the Russian public will be feeling. Also today, two-thirds of the country's prisoners are being denied face-to-face visits. And for nearly a year, lawyers are warning of significant legal implications on that. We discussed that. And artist Tame Iti walks into a hotel lobby and corrected his own name on someone else's artwork on the wall. He crossed out a wrongly spelled Tama to Tame. The hotel's owners want him prosecuted. The artist of the canvas says, all good. And leaving the big smoke is often a subject that gets attention. What if you made the daring move from, say, Auckland to a tiny central Otago town, what would life be like? And have you moved from big city to small town? Do you regret it or do you love it? Text me, 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Our monoheady this afternoon, Dr. Ella Henry, Director of Māori Advancement at AUT's Business School. Dr. Henry, kia ora. Good to have you on the programme. Kia ora, kia ora Wallace, nice to be here. Yeah, and with us also Peter Field, Associate Professor in History, especially American History at the University of Canterbury. Nice to have you back, Peter, kia ora. Yes, hi. Two doctors you have and we can't <laughs> even cure the common cold. <laughs> That's right, the educators unite this afternoon. Anyway, uh, first this, uh, the Ministry of Primary Industries announced today it'll begin culling cows on a huge five-star feedlot near Ashburton, which is infected with bacterial disease Mycoplasma bovis. And further, it's announced a control area notice to reduce stock on 14 nearby farms. In May, the government announced that after working to rid Aotearoa of the disease, this feedlot was on the only infected property remaining, but two more properties have tested positive. So with us on the latest is President of Fed Farmers Mid-Canterbury, David Acton. Welcome, David. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. 14 farms to be depopulated, destocked. A concerning development here? Uh, no, not really. I, th- I believe it's only eight farms that are going to be uh, affected with depopulation. There's, there's a control zone, a high-risk control zone, and a medium-risk control zone. So there's the ones within that um, high-risk area that are going to be depopulated, and the balance are going to be under strict um, surveillance. Do we know how it transmitted? No, and that, that, that's fundamentally why I've put this um, con- control zone in, is that they haven't got a, a grasp of that transmission pathway within that Wakanui area. And with the depopulation of the five-star beef feedlot happening, it's a, it's a very large investment for the for the program, and therefore they they wish to make sure they do it once and 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 do the whole that zone properly. Right. Hopefully, damp it out. David, last year it was thought that we had achieved a, a world first after several years, I think four or five years of uh, research and eradication. It was thought we had eradicated it, a bit of a world first. Um, is it a bit of a setback to have this? Well, no, last year the, it was still, everyone knew it was still within the five-star mm. feedlot and then that was the last cable for the rank. Um, so the the program and, and infection rates are on track and, and, and the modelling 
it's pretty much sitting exactly on the pathway as, as anticipated. There's always going to be one or two hiccups along the way that, that pop up, and, and this process is very much, um, yeah, hopefully the final, the final, okay. final piece in the puzzle. Just finally, David, uh, for those of us who aren't uh, familiar, um, can you explain to us just what mycoplasma bovis is and how it affects cows? So it, it, it's, well, it affects, it affects them with uh, arthritis and, and, and pneumonia and, 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 the t- and farming systems. And, and the, early on, when they first published it, there was massive um, swelling of uh, joints in young calves and pneumonia in young calves causing death ultimately, uh, one, either through the animal having to be euthanized due to the extent of the arthritis or or dying from from pneumonia, so it is a, it is a disease that we do not want in our production system, um, no. and that's it needed. To be, we took the took the um, the plan to cull it, and, and hopefully we are succeeding. All right, very good, David Eklund. There on a bit of an update on uh, the news uh, today. Uh, the uh, Ministry of Private Industries to announce uh, begin culling cows on a large. A feedlot near Ashburton infected with uh, mycoplasma bovis. But uh, in a very different note, you have your Fiat Bambinas, your 59 Cadillac, you've got your Ford Cortinas, a treasure trove, and nothing other of over 30 classic cars that have been sitting in a Southland shed. They're about to go to auction. From Cadillacs and Dodgers. Oxford's also the collection owned by one Susan and the late Robin Dickinson has everything for every petrol head. And Paul Heron is acting on behalf of the owners. He's with us now to tell us more about these cars. Kia ora, Paul. Good afternoon. What do you, lovely to have you here. I'm quite excited about this, actually. What do you know about Robin Dickinson and how he came to own all these amazing cars? Righto. So Robin was a good friend of mine and... Uh, yeah, no, known him for quite some uh, some time, and he's been a uh, wool buyer in the Southland area and been around many farms and the usual farming talk, and, and uh, they get onto subjects uh, other than just farming, and they talk about cars. And uh, over the period of time, he's found a few cars around the district and uh, brought them up and uh, added them to his collection to the point where I don't know if it's collecting or hoarding, but one or the other, it's... Uh, <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> Take it as you will. Yeah, well, yeah. You're, you're down at the auction site now, so if it is hoarding, yes. uh, then hopefully you'll, uh, you'll, they'll get a bit of proceeds from it. Let's jump to our panellists. Uh, panelists. Uh, uh, Ella, I'm just hearing some of these classic car names like the Fiat Bambina and the Ford Cortina, and it's, it'll no doubt bring back a few memories for some of our listeners. Yes, I'm absolutely. sure it will. Well, yeah. Ella's, Ella's going to jump in. Yep, Sorry, right no, I, was, I was just going to say, absolutely, that's my childhood right there. <laughs> and my father being a mechanic, that sounds a little bit like our front yard for quite a, <laughs> quite a number of years. Um, but I, I do hope that a museum is able to acquire these mm. because it's such a lovely, eclectic collection of the history of vehicles in this in this day and age because nobody can afford to drive one of those things. They use so much petrol these right. days. They'd be ridiculous to own. That's a fair point, Paul, sort of keeping the collection intact for that area because it probably speaks to a bit of a Southland voice, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Some people would 
be uh, keen on certain cars and not others. Uh, this is the thing with Robin. He didn't have one particular like for any particular brand or, or make. He, he yeah. had an interest in the 50s and some of the early English um, Morris Miners and Morris 8s and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it sometimes collectors are, are, have a certain uh, liking for certain mm. things, but... Um, yeah, the, certainly the big V8 Cadillacs would be a uh, that'd be a wee bit uh, thirsty on the fuel. But uh, yeah, when you get into lots of little minis and the, even the Cortinas, they're not uh, they're not too bad on the fuel. So it'd be yeah, it'd be an quite eclectic. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I guess Peter, uh, being from the US, uh, if we're talking about that era or just a bit after, you would have grown up with what sort of car, Peter Field? Yeah, and they drive on the right side. Which yeah, is a good thing to remember. You know, I'm I'm drawn to Woody Allen's movie Sleeper, where there's a VW Beetle, and I think it's 200 years old. And he says, "Oh, and it starts." <laughs> what car did you have when you were growing up, Peter? I lived in New York City, so I have to confess that I had the subway. Oh, good, right, good on you, very good. Um, so, have you got much interest, um, Paul? And there's been a huge amount of interest. I can honestly tell you that my phone has not stopped ringing today about inquiries really? about various vehicles. And um, the two Cadillacs and the two Mark V Cortina Sports have been a high, de- high, high demand and, and, and on information required. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just so happens, and I didn't. It just clicked for me right now, Paul. I so happen to know, and, and I'm a very good friend of Robin Dixon's son, Andy. Um, right. So yes. we might sort of check in with him uh, tomorrow and see how that auction went. But for now, Paul Kiora, uh, yep. thank you for your time. Uh, now, by the way, we have had a really, really big response to those who are interested in hearing about and have, in fact, left the big smoke, as they say, and moved, relocated, and started a new life in a small town. Is that you? Text me, 2101. Anyway, time for I've Been Thinking. Dr. Henry, take it away. Okay, well, this week has been a very positive week for AUT. We had our graduation. I was able to attend for the Faculty of Business, Economics and Law. And it's always such an uplifting experience. You know, you see people being able to walk across the stage with their family in attendance, and some haven't been able to because of COVID. So that was really gratifying. But I was somewhat saddened that the number of Māori graduates was quite low, and I'm hoping we can encourage more Māori into business studies uh, because we're starting a new Māori business minor next year, and I really want to stress how critically important it is to build our Māori business expertise so that we can grow our Māori economy, and I know and genuinely believe that when the Māori economy is strong, Māori economies uh, build Māori communities, and when that is good, it's really good for the whole country. So I'm, I'm hoping we can mm. increase the number of Māori in business in future years. And I guess there are two sort of gears to this, uh, Ella, uh, because on one hand you do have the, the good news of the Māori economy expanding at quite an incredible rate over the last few years, and yet you're not quite seeing the number of Māori graduates coming through at this juncture. Well, I mean, in part, that may be because of the low um, low unemployment rate at the moment. You know, right. a lot of young school leavers have left and gone straight into work. There's good work. I'm happy for them. But we also have to think about how we build for the future and maybe attract non-traditional students, you know, older women, older people into the, um, into the tertiary sector. I'm sure you'd agree, Peter, that it's time now to be looking at different demographics for our universities. To be sure. Yeah, and we can touch on that a bit later on in the programme. We are uh, f- talking about that at 4.30. Anyway, uh, kia ora. Uh, Ella, uh, Peter Field, I've been thinking. Well, yes, well, I happen to have just gotten back from the United States, so it's certainly uh, 
fresh in my mind. Uh, Wallace, I don't know whether you've actually traveled abroad since the uh, no the, uh, the kind of end of, of lockdowns and the pandemic, but it was very interesting and. I guess uh, a few things to say. The rumors of America's death are probably greatly exaggerated. It's still there. It's a big country and um, in ways it's doing very well. So um, I think we might remind ourselves that uh, we're misled a little bit by the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Guardian if we think the United States is just falling apart. Um, well, it's a, it's such an enormous country. With, uh, it's hard to speak of it as really one country in some senses. But when you go back to your hometown, Peter, how do you find it? Yeah, well, again, um, we haven't set this up, but New York is very interesting. Um, again, I was struck by just how incredibly multicultural New York and the United States is. Mm. It's an amazing polyglot place where overwhelmingly people of so many different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities and languages do live together and on the whole very well indeed. That um, is yeah. one aspect that struck me, and it struck me enormously riding the subway really for 14 days, um, many hours in the day. It was just really something striking up conversations, Ella, with people from the likes of Latvia. Uh, actually, you met someone on the subway in Ukraine who was interested in my little camera. Um, <laughs> but Ella, you, uh, you would have been to New York as well? Oh, it definitely. I mean, I didn't believe it when I first saw it. You know, it's it's only 10 miles long and a mile wide, and I think 6 million people are crammed onto it. It's such an extraordinary phenomenon that, I mean, I walked around the first time I was there and got from one side of the island to the other and thought, oh, oh, golly gosh, it's huge. <laughs> well, one more slight observation quickly for, for, for Ella and you, Wallace, and that is I did notice that how many storefronts were vacant. So there has okay. been a lot of churning and a lot of yeah. difficulty economically because Absolutely. of the pandemic. Peter Field and Ella Henry with me this afternoon. Kia ora, Wallace. We move from Vienna in Austria to Cadrona in Central Otago. Cadrona is heaven. You're on the panel. Stay with us up to 5pm right here.